0: Chapter eleven of A Candle for Our Lady by Regina Victoria Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, recording by Maria Therese. Chapter eleven Jem stretched and yawned between lavender scented sheets. Where was he? Spring sunlight filtered through the half open shutter, dappling the clean wainscoted room. He came fully awake, remembering why they were at Waltham Manor, had been these three days past. Domicile with Reeves, Sir William Steward. A glow of youth and health went through him. He sprang from bed and doused face and hands in cold water from the earthen bowl on a stand. How good it had been, these days following the accomplishment of their mission. It seemed as if our lady of Walsingham wanted to acknowledge the honor he and Joan had paid her, and to reward them for the hardships of the pilgrimage by the comfort and hospitality offered by Sir William. Joan, where was she? Oh, yes, she slept with Reeves' amber-haired daughter, Isabel, and no sooner the thought than a knock at the door. Jim, it's me, Joan. I have the new suit for you. Admitted, she thrust the clothes into his arms. Isabel hopes they'll fit. They belong to a groom who has outgrown them. Together we altered them, but Isabel did most of it. Present her my thanks, Jim said, flinging on the linen shirt. Joan laughed. Present them yourself, and she whisked away. Jim grinned as he struggled into the long hose and blue doublet, then smoothed the unruly black waves in his hair. Soon he was starting out to them as they lingered over breakfast in the kitchen. Unlike their own at home, the steward's house boasted a separate kitchen furnished with a fireplace and a table flanked by benches, and opened into a fair garden of greens and blooms. Isabel Reeves tilted her heart-shaped face, to one side as she surveyed jim how well it looks many thanks miss isabel Jem flushed under her admiring regard unused to the society of girls other than joan he was shy in their presence But there was something so warmly friendly and charming about this slim lass his own age that a keen sense of pleasure mingled with his embarrassment i'm indebted to you for replacing yon rags joan spread out the folds of a clean grey dress which had been Isabel's, with this touch of crisp white at collar and cuffs. What a sight we both were! It's a wonder so William's porter received us, in spite of his master's orders. But you were pilgrims, said Isabel, a note of awe in her voice. Anyone should be able to see the difference between pilgrims and mere vagabonds. Oh! She glanced out the window. There's someone from the manor. Help yourself to breakfast, Jim. She ran out, light-footed as a deer, jim needed no urging to lighten to the cold mutton and jelly the fresh light bread and creamy butter set before him but he had swallowed only a few mouthfuls before isabel was back you're both to go to the manor sir william wants to see you arrived at the big house they found sir william in his chamber he was pacing the floor thoughtfully a parchment scroll in one hand ah come in come in you two reeves and his daughter have treated you well very hospitably sir jim wondered what was in the knight's mind good i want you to know you're welcome to remain for an indefinite time it's most generous of you sir william but in truth we must prepare for our return shortly our kinsman is hard pressed for labour on the farm and if we have not a fair harvest this year jim broke off remembrance of the weaver's threats darkened his eyes you're in fear of these sheepherders, herders ay so tis up and down the land Sheep devouring men, as that great-hearted statesman Sir Thomas More foresaw many years ago, and now the state devouring the church, spilling the noblest blood among us, the Pilgrims of Grace, the London Carthusians, saintly Bishop Fisher, More himself. Dark days have come upon England, Our Lady's fair dowry. Yet England can't be lost when there are knights strong and true as yourself, sir. Thank you for that, young man." a shadowy smile appeared on sir william's firm-set lips but i have no heir my dear gracious lady died five years ago we had no surviving children waltham and my other manners when i die revert either to the duke of norfolk my feudal lord or to the crown but while i live i'll do what i can he unrolled the parchment do you read latin lad very little sir Well, this is a document set out in full legal form. It states that I confer on you and your sister a lifetime annuity of one hundred pounds each. His keen blue eyes observed their astonished faces over the parchment. Do you understand what that means? Jim could not help stammering. Oh, yes, yes, sir, but why? Called an offering, lad, a votive offering to Our Lady, coupled with a petition that loyalty to God and his church such as you two have shown, may not vanish from our land. Jim and Joan stared at the knight, then at each other, in wordless joy and gratitude. How swiftly and generously Our Lady had rewarded them for the hardships and perils and disappointments of their pilgrimage. Then into the golden quiet came a shattering, brutal violence. Horses reined up sharply in the court, loud voices shouting, calling Sir William. Who? What is it? The knight demanded of the frightened old porter as he strode into the hall. Jim and Joan quickly followed. Mr. Thomas Sidney, Sir William. The quavering retainer was thrust aside by a lean, thin lipped man. Sir William, a rabble of your people are down yonder at Walsingham. They're hindering my workmen. In the future desecration of Walsingham Shrine? Spare your irony, Sir William. It's now my property. I've a right to build on it, house or barn, whatever I choose. Jem stared at Thomas Sidney with his tight lips and insolent air, one of the new men, of whom he had heard so much, and anger, red-hot and boiling, stirred in him. None will dispute your legal title, Mr. Sidney, Sir William replied. I believe you paid the Lord Cromwell all of ninety pounds for it, but I warned you that the popular veneration— Superstitious nonsense! And if the king's council hears of this threats are needless, Sir William girded on his sword. If my people are involved, I'll gladly support you in quelling disorder. Have my horse saddled and brought around, then he told a servant. But Jem, hearing the order, flew from the hall and round to the stables. One thought burned in his mind if Sir William was embroiled in this riot at the shrine, he must share the danger. Flinging a command to the astonished groom to saddle the knight's horse, he himself quickly readied a young black gelding. Within minutes the party headed by Sir William was moving out of the gravel courtyard. Jim had a glimpse of Joan and Isabel among those on the steps. His sister's face grave with misgiving, but Isabel's gaily smiling. The last he saw of them was Isabel's kerchief waving encouragement the smile the gesture were to jim like the tokens bestowed in olden days by young ladies on their favorite aspirants to knighthood as they entered the narrow winding streets of walsingham parva jim saw a great crowd gathering about the desolate priory sidney was there already exhorting his workmen to proceed with their excavations but the throng men women even some children all hooting and yelling seized the workmen's tolls and filled in the earth Vowing no profane building should rise on the sacred soil of Walsingham. Sir William's voice rang out, Hold, good people of Walsingham, hear me. Not if you be with this, this desecrator. One man pointed to Sidney, and others echoed his cry. In a moment, the crowd had gathered compactly all around the site. They mean to rush the works, said Sidney from the comparative safety of a mound of debris. Sir William made no reply. But Jim saw the firm purpose in his steady glance, and held himself ready to follow his move. In a second the knight had spurred straight into the angry throng, his sword drawn, knocking up clubs and cudgels. But Sidney's men, driving in, drew answering fire from those on the opposite side, and the air was black with missiles. Wildly inflamed, Jim rushed in next to Sir William, just in time to intercept a large stone from the quarry of the ruined chapel. As this was his first so it was to be his last feat that day. Struck full on the temple, he was aware of a great crash in his head, a blur of red and black, in which the only distinct thing was Sir William's stalwart figure commanding order. Then the blackness closed in, shutting out the silver of the sky. End of chapter 11